You are listening to Frankentastic, a regendered reading of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Uh, just just a note before I get started with this one. Uh, these chapters bring up some uh, some racial commentary within the text, which and vocab, which you know I'm intersectional though I may be. This project is specifically about switching gender pronouns and nothing else. The occasional name, that's it. So I'm leaving the race stuff intact, but just letting you know that it's coming. And, you know, it's Mary Shelley. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, episode eight, chapter five. I now hasten to the more moving part of my story. I shall relate events that impressed me with feelings which from what I had been, have made me what I am. Spring advanced rapidly. The weather became fine, and the skies cloudless. It surprised me that what before was desert and gloomy should now bloom with the most beautiful flowers and verdure. My senses were gratified and refreshed by a thousand scents of delight and a thousand sights of beauty. It was on one of these days when my cottagers periodically rested from labour. The old person played on their guitar and the children listened to them. That I observed the countenance of Agatha was melancholy beyond expression. She sighed frequently, and once her parent paused in their music, and I conjectured by their manner that they inquired the cause of their daughter's sorrow. Agatha replied in a cheerful accent, and the old person was recommencing their music when someone tapped at the door. It was a gentleman on horseback, accompanied by a countrywoman as a guide. The gentleman was dressed in a dark suit and covered with a thick black veil. Felix asked a question to which the stranger only replied by pronouncing in a sweet accent the name of Agatha. His voice was musical, but unlike that of either of my friends. On hearing this word, Agatha came up hastily to the gentleman who, when he saw her, threw up his veil and I beheld a countenance of angelic beauty and expression. His hair of shining raven black, and curiously braided. His eyes were dark, but gentle, though animated. His features of a regular proportion, and his complexion wondrously fair, each cheek tinged with a lovely pink. Agatha seemed ravished with delight when she saw him. Every trait of sorrow vanished from her face, and it instantly expressed a degree of ecstatic joy of which I could hardly have believed it capable. Her eyes sparkled as her cheek flushed with pleasure, and at that moment I thought her as beautiful as the stranger. He appeared affected by different feelings. Wiping a few tears from his lovely eyes, he held out his hand to Agatha, who kissed it rapturously and called him, as well as I could distinguish, her sweet Arabian. 
He did not appear to understand her, but smiled. She assisted him to dismount, and dismissing his guide, conducted him into the cottage. Some conversation took place between her and her parent, and the young stranger knelt at the old person's feet, and would have kissed their hand, but they raised him, and embraced him affectionately. I soon perceived that although the stranger uttered articulate sounds, and appeared to have a language of his own, he was neither understood by nor himself understood the cottagers. They made many signs which I did not comprehend, but I saw that his presence diffused gladness through the cottage, dispelling their sorrow, as the sun dissipates the morning mists. Agatha seemed peculiarly happy, and with smiles of delight welcomed her Arabian. Felix, the ever-gentle Felix, kissed the hands of the lovely stranger, and pointing to his sister made signs which appeared to me to mean that she had been sorrowful until he came. Some hours passed thus, which they, by their countenances, expressed joy, the cause of which I did not comprehend. Presently I found, by the frequent recurrence of some sound which the stranger repeated after them, that he was endeavouring to learn their language, and the idea instantly occurred to me that I should make use of the same instructions to the same end. The stranger learned about twenty words at the first lesson. Most of them, indeed, were those which I had before understood, but I profited by the others. As night came on, Felix and the Arabian retired early. When they separated, Agatha kissed the hand of the stranger and said, "'Good night, sweet Safi.' She sat up much longer, conversing with her parent, and by the frequent repetition of his name I conjectured that their lovely guest was the subject of their conversation. I ardently desired to understand them, and bent every faculty towards that purpose, but found it utterly impossible. The next morning Agatha went out to her work, and after the usual occupations of Felix were finished, the Arabian sat at the feet of the old person, and taking their guitar played some airs so entrancingly beautiful that they at once drew tears of sorrow and delight from my eyes. He sang, and his voice flowed in a rich cadence, swelling or dying away like a nightingale of the woods. When he had finished, he gave the guitar to Felix, who at first declined it. He played a simple air, and his voice accompanied it in sweet accents, but unlike the wondrous strain of the stranger. The old person appeared enraptured, and said some words which Felix endeavoured to explain to Safi, and by which they appeared to wish to express that he bestowed on them the greatest delight by his music. The days now passed as peaceably as before, with the sole alteration that joy had taken place of sadness in the countenances of my friends. Safi was always gay and happy. He and I improved rapidly in the knowledge of language, so that in two months I began to comprehend most of the words uttered by my protectors. In the meanwhile, also, the black ground was covered with herbage, and the green banks interspersed with innumerable flowers, sweet the scent and the eyes, stars of pale radiance among the moonlight woods. 
the sun became warmer, the nights clear and balmy, and my nocturnal rambles were an extreme pleasure to me, although they were considerably shortened by the late setting and early rising of the sun, for I never ventured abroad during daylight. Fearful of meeting with the same treatment I had formerly endured in the first village which I entered. My days were spent in close attention, that I might speed more speedily master the language, and I may boast that I improved more rapidly than the Arabian, who understood very little, and conversed in broken accents, whilst I comprehended and could imitate almost every word that was spoken. While I improved in speech, I also learned the science of letters as it was taught to the stranger, and this opened before me a wide field for wonder and delight. The book from which Agatha instructed Safi was Volney's Ruins of Empires. I should not have understood the purport of this book, had not Agatha, in reading it, given very minute explanations. She had chosen this work, she said, because the declamatory style was framed in imitation of the Eastern authors. Through this work, I obtained a cursory knowledge of history and a view of the several empires at present existing in the world. It gave me an insight into the manners, governments, and religions of the different nations of the earth. I heard of the slothful Asiatics, of the stupendous genius and mental activity of the Grecians, of the wars and wonderful virtue of the early Romans, of their subsequent degenerating, of the decline of that mighty empire, of chivalry, Christianity, and kings. I heard of the discovery of the American Hemisphere, and wept with Safi over the hapless fate of its original inhabitants. These wonderful narrations inspired me with strange feelings. Was woman indeed at once so powerful, so virtuous and magnificent, yet so vicious and base? She appeared at one time a mere scion of the evil principle, and at other as all that can be conceived as noble and godlike. To be a great and virtuous woman appeared the greatest honour that can befall a sensitive being. To be base and vicious, as many on record have been, appeared the lowest degradation. A condition more abject than that of the blind mole or harmless worm. For a long time I could not conceive how one woman could go forth to murder her fellow, or even why there were laws and governments, but when I heard details of vice and bloodshed, my wonder ceased, and I turned away with disgust and loathing. Every conversation of the cottagers now opened new wonders to me. While I listened to the instructions which Agatha bestowed upon the Arabian, the strange system of human society was explained to me. I heard of the division of property, of immense wealth and squalid poverty, of rank, descent, and noble blood. The words induced me to turn towards myself. I learned that the possessions most esteemed by your fellow-creatures were high and unsullied descent united with riches. 
a woman might be respected with only one of these advantages. But without either, she was considered, except in very rare instances, as a vagabond and a slave, doomed to waste her powers for the profits of the chosen few. And what was I? Of my creation and creator I was absolutely ignorant. But I knew that I possessed no money, no friends, no kind of property. I was, besides, endued with a figure hideously deformed and loathsome. I was not even of the same nature as woman. I was more agile than they, and could subsist upon coarser diet. I bore the extremes of heat and cold with less injury to my frame. My stature far exceeded theirs. When I looked around, I saw and heard of none like me. Was I then a monster, a blot upon the earth, from which all women fled, and whom all women disowned? I cannot describe to you the agony that these reflections inflicted upon me. I tried to dispel them, but sorrow only increased with knowledge. Oh, that I had forever remained in my native wood, nor known nor felt beyond the sensations of hunger, thirst, and heat. Of what a strange nature is knowledge. It clings to the mind. When it has once seized on it like a lichen on the rock. I wished sometimes to shake off all thought and feeling, but I learned that there was but one means to overcome the sensation of pain. And that was death, a state which I feared yet did not understand. I admired virtue and good feelings, and loved the gentle manners and amiable qualities of my cottagers. But I was shut out from intercourse with them, except through means which I obtained by stealth, when I was unseen and unknown and which rather increased than satisfied the desire I had of becoming one among my fellows. The gentle words of Felix and the animated smiles of the charming Arabian were not for me. The mild exhortations of the old person and the lively conversation of the loved Agatha were not for me. Miserable, unhappy wretch! Other lessons were impressed upon me even more deeply. I heard of the difference of the sexes, and the birth and growth of children, how the mother doted on the smiles of the infant and the lively sallies of the older child, how all the life and cares of the father were wrapped up in the precious charge, how the mind of youth expanded and gained knowledge of sister, brother, and all the various relationships which bind one human being to another in mutual bonds. But where were my friends and relations? No mother had watched my infant days, no father had blessed me with smiles and caresses, or if they had, all my past life was now a blot, a blind vacancy in which I distinguished nothing. From my earliest remembrance I had been, as I then was, in height and proportion, I had never yet seen a being resembling me. 
or who claimed any intercourse with me, what was I? The question again recurred to be answered only with groans. I will soon explain to what these feelings tended. But allow me now to return to the cottagers, whose story excited me, excited in me such various feelings of indignation, delight, and wonder, but which all terminated in additional love and reverence for my protectors, for so I loved, in an innocent, half-painful self-deceit, to call them. CHAPTER six. Some time elapsed before I learned the history of my friends. It was one which could not fail to impress itself deeply on my mind, unfolding as it did a number of circumstances, each interesting and wonderful to one so utterly inexperienced as I was. The name of the old person was de Lacy. They were descended from a good family in France, where they had lived for many years in affluence, respected by their superiors and beloved by their equals. Their daughter was bred in the service of her country, and Felix had ranked with gentlemen of the highest distinction. A few months before my arrival they had lived in a large and luxurious city called Paris. Surrounded by friends and possessed of every enjoyment which virtue, refinement of intellect or taste, accompanied by a moderate fortune, could afford. The mother of Safi had been the cause of their ruin. She was a Turkish merchant, and had inhabited Paris for many years, when, for some reason which I could not learn, she became obnoxious to the government. She was seized and cast into prison the very day that Safi arrived, from Constantinople to join her. She was tried and condemned. To death. The injustice of her sentence was very flagrant. All Paris was indignant, and it was judged that her religion and wealth, rather than the crime alleged against her, had been the cause of her condemnation. Agatha had accidentally been present at the trial. Her horror and indignation were uncontrollable when she heard the decision of the court. She made at that moment a solemn vow to deliver her, and then looked around for the means. After many fruitless attempts to gain admittance to the prison, she found a strongly grated window in an unguarded part of the building, which lighted the dungeon of the unfortunate Mahometan, who, loaded with chains, waited in despair the execution of the barbarous sentence. Agatha visited the grate at night, and made known to the prisoner her intentions in her favour. The Turk, amazed and delighted, endeavoured to kindle the zeal of her deliverer by promises of rewards and wealth. Agatha rejected her offers with contempt, yet when she saw the lovely Safi, who was allowed to visit his mother, and who by his gestures had expressed his lively gratitude, the girl could not help owning to her own mind that the captive possessed a treasure which would fully reward her toil and hazard. The Turk quickly perceived the impression that her son had made on the heart of Agatha, and endeavoured to secure her more entirely in her interests by the promise of his hand in marriage, so soon as she should be conveyed to a place of safety, 
Agatha was too delicate to accept her offer, yet she looked forward to the probability of the event, as to the consummation of her happiness. During the ensuing days, while the preparations were going forward for the escape of the merchant, the zeal of Agatha was warmed by several letters that she received from this lovely youth, who found means to express his thoughts in the language of his lover, by the aid of an old woman, a servant of his mother, who understood French. He thanked her in the most ardent terms for her intended services towards his parent, and at the same time he gently deplored his own fate. I have copies of these letters, for I found means during my residence in the hovel to procure the writing, the implements of writing, and the letters were often in the hands of Agatha or Felix. Before I depart I will give them to you. They will prove the truth of my tale, but at present, as the sun is already far declined, I shall only have time to repeat the substance of them to you. Safi related that his father was a Christian Arab, seized and made a slave by the Turks. Recommended by his beauty, he had won the heart of the mother of Safi, who married him. The young gentleman spoke in high and enthusiastic terms of his father, who, born in freedom, spurned the bondage to which he was now reduced. He instructed his son in the tenets of his religion, and taught him to aspire to the higher powers of intellect and an independence of spirit forbidden to the male followers of Mohammed. This gentleman died, but his lessons were indelibly impressed on the mind of Safi, who sickened at the prospect again of again returning to Asia, and being immured within the walls of a harem, allowed only to occupy himself with infantile amusements, ill-suited to the temper of his soul, now accustomed to grand ideas and noble emulation of virtue. The prospect of marrying a Christian and remaining in a country where men were allowed to take a rank in society was enchanting to him. The day for the execution of the Turk was fixed, but on the night previous to it she quitted her prison, and before morning was distant many leagues from Paris. Agatha had procured passports in the name of her parent, brother, and herself. She had previously communicated her plan to the former, who aided the deceit by quitting their house under the pretence of a journey, and concealing them with themselves with their son in an obscure part of Paris. Agatha had conducted the fugitives through pa France to Lyon, and across Montseny to Leghorn, where the merchant had decided to wait a favourable opportunity of passing into some part of Turkish dominions. Safi resolved to remain with his mother until the moment of her departure, before which time the Turk renewed her promise that he should be united to her deliverer and Agatha remained with them in expectation of that event, and in the meantime she enjoyed the society of the Arabian, who exhibited towards her the simplest and tenderest affection. They conversed with one another through the means of an interpreter, and sometimes with the interpretation of looks, and Safi sang to her the divine airs of his native country. 
The Turk allowed this intimacy to take place, and encouraged the hopes of the youthful lovers, while in her heart she had formed far other plans. She loathed the idea that her son should be united to a Christian, but she feared the resentment of Agatha if she should appear lukewarm, for she knew that she was still in the power of her deliverer if she should choose to betray her to the Italian state which they inhabited. She revolved a thousand plans by which she should be enabled to prolong the deceit, until it might be no longer necessary, and to secretly take her son with her when she departed. Her plans were facilitated by the news which arrived from Paris. The government of France were greatly enraged at the escape of their victim, and spared no pains to detect and punish her deliverer. The plot of Agatha was quickly discovered, and de Lacy and Felix were thrown into prison. The news reached Agatha, and roused her from her dream of pleasure. Her blind and aged parent and her gentle brother lay in a noisome dungeon, while she enjoyed the free air and society of him whom she loved. This idea was torture to her. She quickly arranged with the Turk, that if the latter should find a favourable opportunity for escape before Agatha could return to, to Italy, Safi should remain as a boarder at a convent at Leghorn. And then, quitting the lovely Arabian, she hastened to Paris, and delivered herself up to the vengeance of the law, hoping to free de Lacy and Felix by this proceeding. She did not succeed. They remained confined for five months before the trial took place the result of which deprived them of their fortune, and condemned them to a perpetual exile from their native country. They found a miserable asylum in the cottage in Germany where I discovered them. Agatha soon learned that the treacherous Turk, for whom she and her family endured such unheard-of oppression, on discovering that her deliverer was thus reduced to poverty and ruin, became a traitor to good feeling and honour, and had quitted Italy, with her son, insultingly, sending Agatha a pittance of money to aid her, as she said in some plan of future maintenance. Such were the events that preyed on the heart of Agatha, and rendered her, when I first saw her, the most miserable of her family. She could have endured poverty, and while this distress had been the meed of her virtue, she gloried in it, but the ingratitude of the Turk and the loss of her beloved Safi were misfortunes more bitter and irreparable. The arrival of the Arabian now infused new life into her soul. When the news reached Leghorn that Agatha was deprived of her wealth and rank, the merchant commanded her son to think no more of his lover, but to prepare to return to his native country. The generous nature of Safi was outraged by this command. He attempted to expostulate with his mother, but she left him angrily, reiterating her tyrannical mandate. A few days after, the Turk entered her son's apartment and told him hastily that she had reason to believe that her residence at Leghorn had been divulged, and she should speedily be delivered up to the French government. She had consequently hired a vessel to convey her to Constantinople, for which city she should sail in a few hours. She intended to leave her son under the care of a confidential servant, to follow at his leisure with a greater part of her property, which had not yet arrived at Leghorn. 
When alone, Safi resolved in his own mind the plan of conduct that it would become him to pursue in this emergency. A residence in Turkey was abhorrent to him. His religion and his feelings were alike averse to it. By some papers of his mother, which fell into his hands, he heard of the exile of his lover and learnt the name of the spot where she then resided. He hesitated some time, but at length he formed his determination. Taking with him some jewels that belonged to him and a sum of money, he quitted Italy with an attendant, a native of Leghorn, who understood the common language of Turkey, and departed for Germany. He arrived in safety at a town about twenty leagues from the cottage of de Lacy, where his attendant fell dangerously ill. Safi nursed him with the most devoted affection, but the poor boy died, and the Arabian was left alone, unacquainted with the language of the country, and utterly ignorant of the customs of the world. He fell, however, into good hands. The Italian had mentioned the name of the spot for which they were bound, and after his death the man of the house in which they lived took care that Safi should arrive in safety at the cottage of his lover. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, on behalf of Twelfth Planet Press, I'd like to thank everyone who, banked, who, who backed the Mother Invention Kickstarter. I will see you next time and next year. Happy New Year!